Welcome back, WIT listeners. I'm your host, Becky Schneider, and today we are so excited to welcome actually one of WIT's own to the podcast. Lisa Shaymont is the co-founder of the Pulse of GovCon LLC, a small research and advisory firm that works with companies whose contract with the federal government. She has 12 years of experience in federal proposal development and procurement trend analysis and reporting. She's touched more than 200 proposal efforts across a multitude of government departments and agencies that vary in size and scope. In addition to her proposal abilities, Lisa is also a renowned training facilitator, experienced in training clients on business development, capture management, proposal management, and orals coaching. She's a frequently leveraged industry pundit and provides quotations, content, and speaking to trade publications and associations. She's an avid writer who taught the introductory writing course to college freshmen at James Madison University. She maintains the business operations of The Pulse, including accounting, legal, payroll, marketing, healthcare, HR, and IT. Wow, that was a mouthful. Lisa, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. And yeah, I guess the responsibility sounds a little ridiculous when you say it all at once like that. I actually want to start by saying I, I think it's so awesome that you taught the intro to writing course to freshman at JMU. I actually went to JMU. Uh, so go Duke. So I think that's like a kind of cool and different task than a lot of, of our folks have done. Oh, yeah, I absolutely loved it. Um, it was when I was getting my master's in writing rhetoric and technical communication. And as such, we were able to teach and design our own curriculum. And it was great. I mean, I was like 24, 25. I thought, you know, I'm the cool teacher. Let's just connect. <laughs> but you know, really quickly, you had to to turn that around into, oh, no, like, I'm a professor, I am responsible for somebody's grades and their education. And it was just a really great experience. Yeah, that's awesome. And I'm sure your experience teaching there probably kind of bled into your experience with training and your interest in that. So I'm sure we'll, I'm sure we'll come full circle. Um, <laughs> it certainly did. Back to those topics. So that's awesome. So yeah, tell us a bit about yourself, where you're from, and your current work and position at the Pulse of GoCon. Sure thing. Um, so Lisa Shea-Munt, I've, like you said, been in industry for the last 12 years, working in and around government contracting. I'm from Fairfax, Virginia. Uh, I'm one of those that has just stayed local their whole life, you know, went to high school here, went a couple hours away for college, and then moved back closer to the city and then out to the burbs, as most people in this area tend to do. The Pulse we founded five years ago, I say we, it was a business partner, Amber Hart and myself. And uh, so we just call ourselves co-founders and we run the entire company and we've just been loving it. Yeah. So you talked a little bit about, I know I kind of introduced the concept and you talked about founding The Pulse with Amber Hart. So it's basically, from what I understand, a small women-owned boutique consulting firm supporting government contractors through the full federal procurement life cycle. And I think you started in 2017, right? So you're just about to hit the five-year mark. Yes, we did this summer. Oh my gosh, congratulations. It's a Thank huge you. accomplishment. I'm sure it feels really good to have made it past five yeah. years. It's a big milestone. We're still here. We said if we can make it to five, then this is what we're doing for the rest of our lives. You're <laughs> in it. Well, good. I'm glad you've committed. <laughs> um, so looking back at the past five years, is there anything that you would do differently when starting your, your own business? Or is there anything that you would do exactly the same? This is a fun question. And it caused some reflection on, on my point, right? What would I have done differently? And the more that I thought about it, the more that I thought the only thing differently that I would do is I would start sooner. 
there is just so much fear of and risk aversion when we first decided to start the company. And mm. I always like to joke that Amber sort of bullied me into starting the company. <laughs> and by that, I mean, as she's referred to as being pleasantly persistent when she would do federal sales. And that means she's a pain in the butt and she's going to keep asking you the same thing until you eventually cave to, <laughs> to her will. Yeah. Um, but I mean, all jokes aside, she wanted to team up together, but we both recognized that, hey, we had livelihood. And if we were going to start our own thing, then that means if you don't work, you don't eat. And yeah. that's a very different mindset, that sort of entrepreneurial mindset than when we were working our W-2 jobs. And in some ways, it was thrilling because we got to be in total creative control of what we were doing, of what our days looked like, of the people that we were talking to. But in other ways, it was, okay, what about health insurance? What if one of us gets sick? What if something bad happens? What if eventually we have babies, which spoiler alert, we did. <laughs> you know, what does that look like for us to have our own business? What if we fail? What if we, you know, what if nobody buys into the things that we're saying? What if we are laughed off of the, the face of the earth and, you know, have to come crawling back to a regular job? But what does that look like for our pride, for our egos, for our families? And yeah, it was hard. And I don't want to diminish that. Amber's advice is typically like, if you want to work for yourself, just do it. And in a lot of ways, yeah, absolutely. But we also know that we were really lucky to have been able to take on the financial burden and strain of that and to say, hey, uh, we're, we're situated enough where we can take some of these mitigated risks because we are also self-funded. So everything that we made over the past five years for the Pulse has gone back into the Pulse. And that's how we built. That's how we grew. That's how we were able to uh, hire two full-time employees this summer, you know, which is hard, but also means that we're beholden to no one but each other. Again, even with all that, though, I wish I had started sooner when we could afford more risk when we were younger. That's really it, though, because everything else, every other decision that we've made has led us to where we are. And I'm just so truly happy and blessed with the way things have turned out. And so what would I do exactly the same? I guess to double down on that, follow Amber just into the depths of hell any day. You know, <laughs> this is as a partnership, it works. And it's a really beautiful thing to have a partnership that's it's not just business too, right? It's friendship. Every single day, those decisions, and we're not always on the same page. And so to be able to have that sort of respectful, and still loving relationship is very important. No, absolutely. So I'm curious, because you're talking about, you know, following Amber into the deep end, and she kind of was the, the leader of the decision, it, it kind of feels like, was there one moment that you guys kind of knew it was the right moment? Like, was there a catalyst to of something that happened at your previous job or something lined up really well um, with a client with the pulse that you guys were like, okay, this is the moment that, that we can make it? Or was it kind of a, a leap of faith? situation. Yeah. So, you know, it's funny what we accidentally did was we developed a minimal viable product of the pulse in the brand. And we did that without knowing what that really meant. Uh, when we first started, we built the legal LLC and got our affairs in order that way, but then through it just created an anonymous blog and yeah. people bought in with the anonymity. And once we realized that, you know, there was an appetite for the things that we were saying, then we were like, oh, we can do this, you know? And I think somebody said, if not for yourself, then for who? And yeah. that was the catalyst, right? It was, why are we funding other people's 
success. Why are we backing that when we can do it ourselves? Absolutely. I love that. If not for yourself, then for who? And I feel like you having a mission that really speaks to you is going to come off as more organic and your, your clients are going to buy into it more. Like you're going to have a better relationship with them if you really believe in what you're selling. Yeah, and we do. And that's, that's the cool thing, right? And that's why we also wanted to do it for ourselves. Because, you know, historically, we were considered to not play well with others, because we would say the things that people didn't want to hear, or we would talk about how broken the system is. But that's really difficult when there are organizations that, you know, have a fear of retribution for the words that are said. And we're not saying anything incorrectly, but we're just sort of trying to turn industry on its face and saying, hey, take a good hard look in the mirror. And that was why we found success in people saying, oh my gosh, I wish I could say that. Even now, people still come to us that have really large companies and they go, man, I wish I could say what you just said. But they can't for that fear of retribution. Yeah. I want to ask, because I feel like a lot of women that are listening, that are in similar situations, have been in that position of of recognizing something that's wrong and wanting to be the one to speak out against it because they they have a potential solution or at least want to call attention to it. And either women in the workforce or young girls in STEM who are called bossy, who are called mean, (laughs) you know, you said don't play well with others. Like so many women have dealt with that. And I just, I'm curious if you have any suggestions or tips or advice for women who maybe are about to broach that subject and say the the things that maybe have been left unspoken before. Yeah, absolutely. And so I think you hit it on the head when you said, though, there's a problem, but here's a solution. And that's advice for anybody, right? Don't just be a nasty Nelly that's going, oh my gosh, this is wrong. Okay, it's wrong. How are we going to fix it? And so I think that that's what people are usually most receptive to when you point out flaws in the system. It's not just here's a flaw, it's and here's how we can improve. But I mean, I'm just like any other women in women in industry that might struggle with some of this being called nasty or, you know, some of the other bad words uh, that get thrown around. I mean, I've been there, right? And I'm typically a smiley person. I am happy by nature. I approach things with a little bit of like a a song and dance um, because I'm just trying to have fun. I'm trying to have a good time. Sometimes when that's not turned on, then I get called out for it. And actually, I have somebody that was on the phone. I was just reporting something instead of having a rapport with them Mm -hmm. and stopped. And he said, you know, I don't want to be confrontational, but it doesn't sound like you want to be here. And that has sat really heavy with me since it was said, because I had to step back and I said, did I really sound that mean? But I didn't sound mean. I sounded serious. Yeah. I sounded serious. And there like wasn't a song in my, my voice. Um, I didn't sound like a cheerleader in that moment, yeah. which, <laughs> which I, I usually do, right? I'm like, come on, guys, we can do it. Well, I'm positive, this and that. And I did find when, when I didn't, that I was actually called out for it. But, you know, there's a lot of things that you can do as especially a young woman when you're trying to find a seat at the table. And that's actually I saw a TikTok on this and I hate that I just said that. (laughs) Um, But (laughs) there is this great one of a young woman who's uh, an attorney and she gives all these tips on how to be taken seriously being a young woman. And there's some things in meetings like always being the person that ends the meeting. That's how you maintain control over a situation. 
And I was like, oh, that's a good one. Because if you're the one pushing people off the phone, then you're in control of that, <laughs> of that yeah. environment, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, she had said things like, don't smile and don't laugh. I can just never bring myself to do that. There were some sort of um, visual cues too, like to always raise your chair higher than you think it needs to be, to have mm. a more relaxed posture and like be mindful about the way that we're physically presenting ourselves in a meeting, taking notes. If you start taking notes, then all of a sudden you're the note taker, like yeah. you're the transcriber of the meeting. So, you know, I, I feel like I'm getting off the rails here, but it, yeah, that's a major concern. And so when you are pointing things out, point them out, have the rationale and the research behind why something isn't working too, and then provide a solution. Yeah. Always coming with a solution is key, but I love all of the other tips you gave. So I want to really backtrack. I kind of was hoping you would talk us through the basics of federal procurements, their life cycle, acquisition strategy, just like the basics, the must knows. What it comes down to is the government has needs and those needs are products and or services. And there are a limited number of federal employees. And so a lot of these needs need to be outsourced. And so they outsource them through the federal procurement process where they put out requirements to bid for contracts and then government contractors, all of these companies that you see in and around the Beltway, bid on those opportunities to then work the contract with the government to provide those goods and or services. Um, so there's this massive life cycle where there's a mission, there's a need, there's a requirement, there's a bidding process, there's an awarding process, and then you actually work on the contracts until the end of the period of performance. And so it's really important to know these things if you work in the DMV, especially. It's all across the country. There's, you know, CONUS within the continental United States. There's OCONUS work as well outside of the continental United States. You know, just contracts everywhere. This is just how our country and our world operates. And so that's why it's important, even if you don't consider yourself to be in government contracting, um, because it's also where your tax dollars go. It's literally what is funded by, by taxes, including a portion of it, at least. It's called discretionary funds. Um, and those discretionary funds get obligated through um, you know, legislation to go towards some of these contract needs. Um, so it's just, it impacts you. It impacts all of us every single day. Why would you say for, I know we have a lot of folks listening that are in the federal contracting space, especially in DC. What is one nugget of wisdom that you would really like to impart um, for folks who may be just starting out on the procurement journey? So my biggest nugget piece of information and advice that I can give is read it and then read it again and then read it a third time and then read it a fourth time and then read it a fifth time. I honestly feel like most of the aha moments that I end up giving to clients is just because I read something and then I repeated it back. You know, you talk about things like proposals and having to maintain compliance with those proposals. If you just read the requirements, it tells you what you need. We make things too hard in government contracting. We consider ourselves to be proposal literalists at the pulse, which means that like, if something asks us for X, Y, and Z in that order, then when we develop a proposal, it's going to be X, Y, and Z in that order. You know, you yeah. know it's, a, it's a different genre of writing. It's not the great American novel. It <laughs> is a response to requirements. It's technical writing in that way. Yes, it's a sales document, but it's also rooted in 
this idea of regulations and compliance, like the difference between public and private procurements. And people say they come from the commercial space. The biggest difference is it's not a pitch, it's a response. And so consider that when doing federal procurement. It's clear from other conversations that we've had that training is your other big love outside of federal procurements, especially for young people and graduates entering the government contracting world. So just curious to find how you found this love of training for young people and for your federal procurements business and how you're focusing on it. Right. So it's funny, Amber and I always say that, you know, training wasn't the intention of the Pulse. It was sort of just a natural byproduct of who we are as people. Yeah. Uh, Because we're very teach Amanda Fish, right? We want to not only do the work for you, we want to tell you how to do it better. And so I think where that came from is because way back when when we first started, I was actually Amber's intern. uh, Wow. First started. I know. Isn't that cute? Uh, Despite being (laughs) a year older than her. Uh, I was working at a defense contractor under her tutelage. And um, I remember I was thrown into a large proposal effort. And I was helping with components of the proposal, but I didn't even know what a proposal was. I didn't know what it meant. I didn't know the the implications of it. I didn't get how it connected to jobs. I didn't understand why you needed things like e-personnel. I didn't understand why you needed things like pricing. I didn't understand that it floated the business to win you know, a couple million dollar contract in that regard. So the reason that we like training is because there are so many things that I wish that we had had when we had started out, you know, back even, gosh, 12 years ago, you would Google things on government contracting, nothing came up. There's no help. There's no help. You didn't understand. Nobody was talking about it in sort of the broad brush strokes that we do. It was always here are the components here's the proposal, here's the capture, here's the BD, here's the accounting, here's the recruiting. But nobody really talked about how it all interconnected. Um, And so we saw an opportunity to be able to pass that on. And like you said, I did teach for a year and I loved it. And I, you know, that's definitely once I retire, uh, going back to teaching at the collegiate level is a goal of mine. And I, I just absolutely love getting up in front of students and, and seeing their brains work and, and having yeah. them understand high level concepts is just really fun for me. Yeah, that's awesome. So you actually now that you're, you're talking about older students, obviously, at the collegiate level, but I know you're really involved in the accelerate her program with wit, which is I think a lot younger. So I'd, if you want to talk about your experience with that, and maybe some some things that you've pulled from that that have been really enjoyable. Yes. Yeah, so the Accelerate Her program was something that I implemented last year uh, through WIT. It's not just for, you know, younger people. It's for anybody. The whole goal was to provide professional development events for members and non-members that are just trying to better themselves in their career um, and advance in, in whatever capacity that means. And so we try to do things that are a little more general, although we do have concepts that are more specific to say STEM or things like cyber. But what we've been able to really do is every month put on a lunch and learn and people can come and they hear a 45 minute presentation with 15 minutes for questions uh, on things that can help them. So we've done stuff on resume development. Uh, we did one on on like networking. Um, We did one on mapping your cyber career. Uh, And so we've done really broad ones. And then we've done really specific ones like disk assessment training on your communication tactics. Um, We've done one on how to leverage ADHD in the workplace. That was a very popular one. Yeah. Um, And so just in all sorts, we have a bunch. I'm actually just going through the process 
of getting uh, them scheduled out for 2023. I think we have four in the hopper right now. Uh, but there's going to be one on like crowdfunding, um, one on social media. We're going to talk about business writing. And so these are skills that people, no matter what point they are in their career, can go to to learn a little something and then apply it to to their own professions. Yeah. No, that's really helpful. Thanks for for walking us through that. I know we probably have a few listeners that are really interested in that. So I'll go ahead and put a link for some of the upcoming Accelerate Her Lunch and Learns and events in the about section for this. And I'm sure you might get some folks reaching out to you with interest. (laughs) Um, But that's awesome. So out of all of the skills that you just talked about, if you had to pick maybe two or three that you would say would be the most helpful for a woman just entering the workforce, like fresh out of school to focus on and really hone as she gets started, what would you say those would be? Okay. So there's actually one topic that we haven't put on an event for yet, but I'm looking and I would say that's negotiation. Okay. Uh, Cause that is just a skill that no matter what profession you are in, you have to be able to negotiate on behalf of yourself. Yeah. Right. And it's it's all about recognizing your value and not being fearful of being, you know, assertive and saying, like, this is what I'm worth. You think about like contract negotiations, salary negotiations. It's being an advocate for yourself because you are your own biggest advocate. And yeah, yeah it's good to have like mentors. It's good to have people in your corner within your organizations, but nobody's going to advocate for you like you can advocate for you. Yeah. Um, so, so that's huge. Um, I would say just like business writing too. We're going to do one on um, like how to write like a business owner and, and changing the way that you communicate via email too yeah. is something because I know, especially as a young woman, you have the sort of, you fall back into, I'm going to tell you, what I'm going to tell you, and then I'm going to tell you why I'm going to tell you. And then I'm going to tell you, why I'm going to tell you again. Yes. Exclamation point. <laughs> Whereas you then you get an email from your CEO and it just says, okay, thanks. Yeah, I went through a period where I I had actually great advice from a a woman that I worked with where she said, write your whole email, just like you normally would remove at least one exclamation point, (laughs) and then remove any time you say if that's okay with you. Stop asking for permission. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. No, I think those are both great. Obviously, changing changing your communication style or maybe just making it more effective based on how you naturally communicate as a person. I think because we were talking earlier where that one girl or one woman suggested like, oh, don't laugh or smile in meetings. And for you and me, I'm like, I could never do that. I could, I could never. Yeah, I could never. But there are other ways to kind of hone it in. And just have a little more powerful presence. I am curious. You, I love negotiating for yourself in, in any field, like STEM especially, but but really any field. Do you have a good example of a time that you kind of learned how to do that, where you kind of were, were put in a situation where you had to back yourself up? Yeah, there was one point where I did negotiate a 20% salary increase for myself. And I got really good advice from my dad, which is not, it's a salary increase. It's a salary adjustment. It's not an increase makes it seem like it's something that's being given to you. An adjustment makes it seem like it's something you deserve. Yeah. So I'd say that's probably the biggest. And, you know, it's just being firm, holding your ground. And if this doesn't happen, then I will leave. If it does happen, I will be happy. Right. Uh, And so, and again, it was a risk and it was hard. It it was difficult to play hardball. It was difficult, but still being pleasant and smiling and saying, this is just the way it's going to be. 
Yeah. But you knew your own worth and you were willing to stand up for it. Yeah, exactly. Um, in a way. So that's awesome. So I know that that was obviously a pivotal moment um, for you, maybe not career wise, but at least in your own personal growth, obviously starting Pulse of GovCon with Amber was a, was a big pivotal moment. Besides those two, do you have a, a, like a most pivotal moment in your career that you look back and you're like, that's, that's when it all fell into place? Yeah. Just like anybody else starting out in this industry or any industry, I, I had a lot of self doubt when I was first getting out there. Imposter syndrome is a very real thing. Uh, it yeah. became, what, what do I know or what do I have to offer? And so honestly, one of the most pivotal moments in my career and where I probably wouldn't be where I am today without is because um, there was an old employer of mine. His name was Jim McCarthy, and he was the first person to ever put me in front of a crowd as a specialist, as an expert. Yeah. And him believing in my ability to present it, we had a presentation we had to do. He said, okay, tomorrow you're presenting. I said, I'm presenting. What do you mean I'm presenting? I don't know the material. And he said, yeah, but you can read, can't you? And <laughs> wow. All right. <laughs> yeah, you're right. I can. Read. I can. Guess what? I read it and I read it again and I read it again <laughs> until I knew it. And yeah. when I knew it, I was able to present it. And so being able to have that sort of backing as a specialist at the age that I was at the time frame in my career that I was and yeah. put me in front of a, a crowd and give me presentation experience in a professional context, that was hugely pivotal. And now I'm, I hope to pass on those good vibes to, we have two employees that had started with us in uh, June. One of them is right out of school. One of the first things that we said was, okay, you're going to put on a lunch and learn. You're going to put on a presentation on this topic. And same deal. She was like, uh, I have to read about it. Yes, you do. You're going to learn about it. You're going to be great. And so now she presents for us and giving people, especially young people, that platform to be seen seriously and as specialists, I think that's, that's pivotal. Yeah, giving them the platform, but also kind of pushing them to do it. Because I think a lot of younger folks are going to have that imposter syndrome that you talked about. They're not going to feel uh, like knowledgeable enough. They're not going to feel like they are entitled experience wise to speak on those topics, but kind of pushing them and saying it's it's going to be fine. Maybe not overexerting them, like having a like a safe place to fail right. just in case yeah. things go wrong, obviously, because they will at certain points. But paying it forward too. It sounds like you, you know, you really owed Jim like that that one moment of of being put out of your comfort zone and being rewarded for it. And so giving that opportunity to someone else, I think, is is really awesome. You know, I don't believe in failure. It's been a, a joke conversation and fight between me and some of my friends where I say, like, what's failure? Right? Like you, <laughs> you just you didn't get something. This is that yeah. really it's failure, but if you were to believe in failure, then in those situations, then you'd give them the opportunity to fail upwards, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Last question, actually. So I, you mentioned you mentioned wanting to teach again after you retire. And I know retiring is probably <laughs> not so close on your radar at this point because you guys are just at five years. But what's next for you? What are, where are you seeing yourself in the near and, I guess, distant future professionally? The goal is just to continue to roll the pulse, um, to continue to bring in new employees, train them up in our image uh, so that there's just a bunch of little Lisa and Amber's running around. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, but still, that idea of expanding um, and scaling is really exciting to us, being able to work with 
even more clients. And really the goal, the underlining goal of all of this is to be more impactful for procurement policy, to do things through the federal government, to work with Congress, to change the way that goods and services are acquired, to change some of these these trends, you know, like Amber actually did, um, you got to ask her during your podcast with her. Uh, so she testified in front of the House Small Business Committee to talk about the impact of government-wide acquisition contracts on the small business community and was able to, with all of us, go through the research, uh, develop the oral and written testimony and pull the numbers and show how trends like that, when they're congressionally mandated, can actually hemorrhage the small business community. And here's yeah. why. And so that sort of information, that, that sort of impact, that's where the pulse is going. Yeah. Lisa, it's been fabulous having you on today. Thank you so much for taking the time. I know a lot of folks will be very keen to hear all of your advice. And we look forward to seeing everything that you have in store for the pulse and for wit and for yourself in the near future. All right. Thank you so much for having me. Awesome. Thank you so much. You can find Lisa at linkedin.com, Lisa Shea Munt, M-U-N-D-T. And you can find the Pulse of GovCon at thepulsegovcon.com. That is T-H-E-P-U-L-S-E-G-O-V-C-O-N.com. I'm your 2022 host, Becky Schneider. And until next time, keep inspiring girls and women to rise from the classroom to the boardroom. 